0: So we are tonight in Genesis 17. And this is the chapter where God changes some names and he speaks once again so tenderly, wonderfully to Abraham. Now, leading up to chapter 17, chapter 15 verse 6, one of the most important verses in the Bible, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And um, then in chapter 16, right after believing God, he says, well, maybe God wants me to have a child, not through Sarah, but through her maid, and goes into the Hagar, somebody they, should, they picked up back in Egypt where they should have never been in Egypt. And now years later, he has a child through her, Ishmael, And uh, we're going to find out in in chapter 22 that um, God says, take your son, your only son. He does not even recognize Ishmael, Um, only the one son of promise. Only the one son that was a miracle that would carry on the lineage ultimately to the Messiah. Well, chapter 17, verse 1 and 2 When Abram, notice it's not Abraham yet, but Abram, was 99 years old. So we know in chapter 16, he was 86. And so now Ishmael would be about 13 years old. And Abraham, um, we're going to discover that he, he goes from 86 to right here, 99. So several years have gone by. And the Lord hasn't been talking to him, evidently. We, we, we have no um, insight from chapter 15, where God spoke to him there. And then now 13 years have gone by, 14 years have gone by. And now God's speaking to him again. And so after all these years, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, El Shaddai. Love that song, El Shaddai, El Shaddai. You guys know what that means, right? The all-sufficient God. God, you're sufficient. I love that name because that's the burning bush. I am who I am. And and the way Moses would understand that is, I am what you need. I need salvation. I'm your savior. I need forgiveness. I'm your forgiver. I need your comfort. I'm your comforter. And uh, so really the name of God can be Infinite. But the, I'm the all sufficient God. And then he says an interesting thing there in verse one walk before me and be blameless. And then in verse two, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now that's an interesting thing because he, he's saying, now walk before me and be blameless. <laughs> Remember, Abraham believed God is counted into righteousness, verse six. And then the very next thing he says, how am I going to know this for sure? Oh, didn't sound much like faith, Abraham. It uh, didn't sound like somebody who's just been declared righteous by their faith would ask such a question. But remember, they they make the sacrifice, and, and they split it in two, and the two of them, they're walked together saying, I'll keep my portion, you keep your portion. But God put Abraham into this deep sleep, and God walked through it by himself, in essence saying, this covenant is going to be 100% based upon my faithfulness and zero upon your faithfulness, which is exactly what Paul describes in the entire chapter 4 of Romans explaining that to us, that Abraham could be absolutely 100% guaranteed of the promises of God because it's 100% upon God alone. To do it, it wasn't going to be. I'll do ninety-nine percent. Here's your one percent. Don't screw it up. Well, we already know what happened on that, right? <laughs> God puts him in the garden. You can stay here as long as you don't eat out of that one tree. There's a billion zillion trees on the entire planet. One tree out of all the gazillion trees, don't eat from. We know how that in, that story ends. And they weren't even a sinful body yet. Okay. So if there was one tiny, little, bitty bitty thing Abraham had to do, the promise would be null and void because that's us in our human flesh, isn't it? So why would God say, walk before me and be blameless? Yeah, that word, guys, it means without blemish. It means perfect. But interesting, it can also mean whole. And this is what David Saw it when he described himself. Often David in the Psalms would would say, God, forgive me for sinning, forgive me, I'm so sorry. Can you cleanse me? Can you heal me? And by the way, bless me because I walk in my integrity. Psalms 25, verse 21, let integrity and rightness preserve me. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Psalms 2611 but as for me I walk in my integrity why does he say the next line redeem me and be merciful to me <laughs> well guys the the word the whole to be to be whole before God or to walk in integrity you guys might remember back in elementary school we learned, we had integers and fractions do you remember that and integers were whole numbers one two three four, four five And then a fraction was, you know, a half a percent or a third. And in essence, that's the root of this word uh, (laughs) integrity. But also, I think that's what Paul is saying, or the Lord is saying to Abraham here. To walk whole before me. How did David discover that? Remember in Psalms 51, verse 16 and 17, he says, For if you desire sacrifice, or else I'd give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And in Psalm 51, 6, he nails it by saying, Behold, you desire what? Truth in the inward most parts. And in the hidden part, you make me to know wisdom. I think Micah, nobody says it better than he does in that famous verse, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? What, what is it God saying? Okay, Abraham, I made this covenant with you. I'm gonna make another covenant with you. Now I'm gonna basically repeat it after 13 years. You haven't heard it. I'm gonna say it again. Why, why does God keep saying it? He, he told him in chapter 12. He told him chapter 15. And now he's telling them again in chapter 17. Why does Abraham keep hearing the same covenant of promise that God gives him? One, he might forget it. You guys ever forget a Bible verse you really need to remember? (laughs) Maybe it's that. I mean, he is 99 years old. You do have to say things a couple of times to the people get that old. Or it could be that he's doubting it. Or it could be that, that he just needs to be strengthened in that vision again by hearing it again. And for me to hear the promises of God three times, is that enough? No, three zillion times is still not enough. I love when God speaks to my heart his wonderful promises. So what is God saying to Abraham? I think, walk honestly. Be real. Let's let's have this honest relationship. You understand that religion makes you have to pretend you're something you're not. And I grew up in a church, you know, we had our Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. Everybody wore a suit and and all of that as kids. Oh, my God, we hated that. But the parents would often say on the way to church, don't tell anybody dad said that. Don't tell anybody mom did that. And don't, you know, we've got to look the part. I can't tell you how many pastor's kids who really walked away from God as soon as they could because their parents are like, if you tell people at church what dad said, he'll get fired. Then we won't be able to live here anymore. And, and kids growing up hearing that over and over again, of we've got to hide stuff that happens in our real life. When we go to church, we've got to pretend. And it just literally made their heart sick. And uh, so again, Abraham, walked before me, blame us. Does God want us to be holy as he is holy? Absolutely. Can we be in this human body? We really can't. You know, that's the problem. Have you ever noticed that? Just like Paul in Romans 7. The harder you try to be right, the worse it seems you are. You know? That's what Paul was saying. Man, I did okay before God said, don't do that. And then I kept doing it. And God said, don't do it. I did it even more. And then I just found myself wanting to do it. I don't even know why. Because sin dwells in me. So... You know, what, what does every person, God's a person. Yes, he's God. We're made in his image, and we're all persons, so he's a person. We like to talk. God likes to talk. We like to listen. God likes to listen. We like to be happy. God likes to be happy. God gets sad. I get sad. You get sad. We, 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 we all have these things, but what do we want in friends? Do we want a million of them? No but we do want as many as we can get if they can all be honest with each other together, right? I mean, if you have somebody that is not really telling you what they think and they're not really being relaxed with you and enjoying you, I mean, have you had that where you have people over in their tents and they're tense and you're tense and they leave and you're exhausted? It just drained you. Then you have other people come over, and they energize you. They leave and going, man, let's do this another four hours. You know, we can't. It's midnight. You know, we got to. So God is saying to Abraham, be this person that just is honest. What does God, David came to the conclusion. I'm, I'm honest with God. We read the Psalms. You know what we find with David? He's honest with God. <laughs> He tells God he's angry. He tells God he's disappointed. He tells God that he doesn't necessarily believe everything he's saying right now because of what's happening in his life. How could this be happening if you're... All the things we think, but David was honest. That's why we love the Psalms. That's why they're comforting to us because they're so honest and real to life. So Abraham, you're the guy and he's going to tell him it doesn't matter What happens? You're the guy. All I want before you is just this honest, real relationship. And you know what we're going to discover in chapter 17 here? And in chapter 18? And in chapter 19? He was. He was. If Abraham thought what God was saying was ridiculous, he laughed at it. If he thought what God was saying was too good to be true, he wanted him to prove it. He, he was honest with God, and that's what God wants. That's what we all want, people around us, that we can let our hair down and be honest with that person. And then he goes on to say there that I want to make this covenant once again between us. And so verse 3 now through 8. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, I love this. We know that Abraham went and built altars and he worshipped, but we didn't get to see the inside of this. It's been 13 years. We don't know how old he was when he left the Ur-Chaldees, but when he left Haran, he was 75. He's been at least 25 years in the promised land, waiting decades now to have a child with Sarah. And we see this old guy just bowing down to God. I love the presence of God. I love when the presence of God is so wonderful that the only right position to be is on your face before him. I think this was a special moment. Well, in verse four, as for me. God's saying, ask for me. Understand, this is one of those statements, the zeal of the Lord our host is gonna do it. Behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. We, we know the Hebrew word daddy, right? What's the Hebrew word for daddy? Abba. That's the beginning of Abraham's name, A-B. Or, you know, you take the A off and you put the, the rest of it on there. and uh, it, it's, it's saying father of many Of much. Um, And so now it's of nations. Abram was father of much, of many. Now it's father of many nations as well. And then he goes on to say, and I have made you the father of many nations, or some translations say the multitudes of nations. I like that even better. Now, just to let you know, we, we know that he had another nation with Ishmael, But later on, after Sarah dies, Abraham has another wife, Keturah, and has several sons with her, six sons with her. So he is the father of many nations. Uh, Most of them are all Arabs throughout the world. But in verse 6, I I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. Importantly, the king of kings, right? Right? And you know who else is a king through Abraham? You and me, we're the kings, we're the holy priesthood. Because of Abraham, he's made, he makes us kings through the Messiah. His son, Jesus, makes us kings and priests unto himself. And then he goes on to say there, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. Notice the, the wording there again, going back. As for me, he says in verse 4, verse 6, I will make, I will establish in verse 7. And in verse 8, I will give. But notice in verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I will give you your, and your descendants after you the land. Which you are a stranger right now in, but all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, I will be their God. Powerful. 13 years after having Ishmael, Abraham's living. We know he's really enjoying being a dad to Ishmael. He, he couldn't be happier with Ishmael. As far as he's concerned, Ishmael is enough for a lifetime. He actually is going to say in this chapter, let, let Ishmael be the guy. He, he's so wonderful. I love being his dad, and he's such a great son. And so God now shows up and says, Abraham, you, you need to understand something. You're the guy. You're the guy. I've made this choice. And you followed my voice. You you left the Hercules. You came here. We made a covenant together. Now listen, you need to get it through your head. You're the guy. You're not just a guy wandering around. You're the guy. <laughs> and your descendants are the descendants. And what I'm doing with you is an everlasting covenant. It's going to go in through eternity. And the possession I'm giving to you and your kids is an everlasting land. That possession, it's an everlasting land through perpetuity until there's a, God melts it with a fervent heat and creates a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And then the Jews will get the new Jerusalem as well and the new Israel. And so um, he says, to, to mark this moment in time, I want you to remember the day when I changed your name. You're not just the father of many with, uh, now he has one son. For years he was called the father of many, had no sons. Now he's called, not just the father of many, he's called the father of many nations with one son. It's interesting here, isn't it? Because when God names somebody, usually it's something they're not, right? When God names them, when a man names them, it's like Esau comes out, he's Harry, let's name him Harry, because he is. But when God says, you're a Jacob, a hill catcher, a rotten guy, but I'm gonna change your name to Israel, governed by God. You look at the, we're gonna be seeing it, the story of Jacob after that, he wasn't very governed by God for many, many decades still. But he eventually was. God is saying, when I change your name, I'm putting the pressure on me to make you the person I know you to be. And you need to be that person. Why that's neat? Because so we see Jacob changed to Israel, Peter, or Simon changed to Peter. But don't forget the most important name change in Revelation 2.17. I love this. He's, he who hasn't here, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give Some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone. And on that stone, listen, a new name which no one knows except him, and he receives it. God eventually is going to say to all of us, Your name is, and now for eternity, it is going to be called this. I love it. God is changing. Right now, I mean, he's called us so many things, he's changed us and called us saints. Are we saints? Mm, don't think so. He's called us righteous. Are we righteous? No, but we know we're going to be one day. We're the chosen. We're the royal priesthood. We're the sons of God. That list goes on. And he said, I'm doing this by my power, by my will. In verse five, I have made you a father of many nations. Verse six, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make your nations of you. I will make kings that, to come from you. Verse seven, I will establish a covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant. Um, and then in verse eight, and I will give you and your descendants after you possession of that land forever. So again, try to remember, if you can't remember, if somebody says, well, I think the Jews should get out of Israel. uh, Well, now you know. Chapter 17 is one of the places it says that God gave it to Abraham and his descendants, that land, forever. Well, verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. Who is God making this covenant with? He's getting ready to make one to Abraham and the fellow kids that are Jews. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now he's been talking about his offspring, right? I mean, the whole focus has been about his offspring, having kids. And then he's talking about his kids having kids. And so circumcision, (laughs) is focusing on that reproductive part of the body. And he is speaking of this, saying, I I want you guys in particular to understand that you're reproducing your descendants that's going to eventually lead to the Messiah. And that's a covenant between me and you guys. It's private, if you would. And indeed it is. In verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, eight male, every male child in your generation. And he who is born in your house, maybe not a Jew, or brought with, bought with money is a foreigner who is not your descendant. So anybody who makes their, their life to live in your boundaries under your house, they also are to be circumcised. He who is born in your house and he who is brought with money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be uh, in your flesh and an everlasting covenant and an uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin that person shall be cut off it's a nice way of saying put to death from his people and has broken my covenant interesting we just talked about circumcision in philippians 3 remember paul was given the big list i'm a, i was born a, of the uh, as a jew from abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, and we just actually talked quite about this. So I don't want to be redundant, but you guys remember in Romans chapter two, Paul makes the argument there that it never was, even with Abraham, it never was about the outward act of circumcision. It was always about the heart. And I actually have a lot of verses on that in the notes from last week in Philippians 3, verses uh, 4 through 9. If you want to get a whole Bible study on what circumcision is uh, in the Old Testament and how it means to us in the New Testament. But it is interesting here that they said on the eighth day. This is thousands of years before science. But we know now that the blood-caughting agent In a child between five and seven days old, vitamin K, and then the clotting agent which comes about, the prothumbum, is the highest level in a child ever in his life on the eighth day. How can Abraham know that? How can anybody at this time know that? But then eventually, thousands of years later, science catches up. We're going, wow. If you're going to cut a baby, make them bleed, the eighth day is the day to do it. But Paul in Galatians chapter 5, he goes into a huge discourse on this. And he is saying in that discourse that, man, if you get persuaded to get circumcised, then the only way you can be righteous through the law is keep it all perfectly. Can't be done. And And then he basically says, we're saved by grace. So if you go back to the law, seek to be righteous through the law, you've fallen from grace. You've estranged yourself from Christ. And by the way, people are saying, I preach circumcision. If I did, then why am I being persecuted? Brethren, we've been called to liberty, to freedom. Don't let anybody take that freedom away from you. I think he says it best in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision Nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So even in circumcision with Abraham, the focus, as we'll discover, chapter 15 and later chapter 22, it's really on his faith, not on circumcision. But Colossians 2, verse 11 to 12, just to finish up this thought, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Not putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Romans 2 and Colossians 2 tells us that the circumcision in the New Testament, it's when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He cuts that old sin nature away and gives us a new heart. It is not baptism. There are churches that, that it's called, it's a, it's a heresy. It's called baptismal regeneration. And it's where they actually believe that when you're baptized, that's when your sins are washed away. So people often ask, well, why does that church do infant baptism? And the reason is because of this. They say New Testament circumcision is baptism. That's why they baptize babies. And that's why a lot of the groups, not all the groups, a lot of the groups that baptize babies say that's when they're saved. And if you don't get them baptized and they die before they get baptized, then they they may not make it to heaven because their sins haven't been washed away through baptism. All a heresy, okay? But that is the reasoning theologically in that. But going on to verse 15 and 16, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai your wife, You shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and I also give you a son by her. Do you hear that? I will also bless her and give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. So Sarai, the lady or the princess, to now the princess or the lady of a multitude. Now, verse 17, we learn she's 90 years old. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Now here's this, earlier he fell on his face and worshiped God, but now he said, yeah, through Sarah, you're gonna have a baby. And notice, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, didn't say it out loud, pretty smart guy, because he's in the presence of God. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is nine years old, bear a child? Wow. So Abraham is talking to God. Evidently, it's not physically in the presence of God, as we're going to see in the next chapter. He's actually looking at a person who's God. Um, Here, maybe God's just speaking out loud or maybe into his heart. But he's not feeling like he's in front of this guy. And so in secretly in his heart, he's just on the floor laughing, going a 90 year old woman having a baby, how ridiculous. And in his heart, he's laughing about this. And then he says to God, something that became very offensive to God. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Israel's, Ishmael's my choice and he's a great son. I want you to choose him. Well, God's gonna answer that in, in verse 19 by saying, God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, like I said. You know why I think this is so interesting? Because remember in Romans chapter four, it tells us that Abraham's the father of us all and that he had this faith that was unmovable. And and in Romans 4 he said, I've, in verse 17, he said, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who in contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so your descendants shall be. And listen to verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, He did not waver, the old King James says, stagger at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced what he had promised he was able to perform. Now, what I just read did not sound like that whatsoever. (laughs) He laughed about Sarah being 90, having a baby. He laughed about himself being 100, having a baby. They were getting a big laugh out of this. And then he's just like, this is ridiculous. I, 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 God, Ishmael, he's already here, he's 13, he's great. Let's just carry on, what's the next step? I got Ishmael here. But what do we find here in the New Testament? We find the truth of how God sees what we just read. And through God's eyes as a dad of Abraham, our heavenly father, saw only the things that Abraham did right. Because after this chapter 17, he does strengthen in faith. He does believe that God can do the impossible. He really does get there. But he wasn't always there, but God saw that he was always right there. His faith man never faltered. It just went from one string to another string. Man, he, he, he considered God to be able to do anything and he never faltered whatsoever. As one of the commentaries said about this passage in Romans four, he said, Abraham staggered like a drunken sailor, but in his faith, but yet God saw his heart and he saw his heart was faith. I love that. You know, we saw earlier Lot. Well, Lot was a mess. His wife, his home was a mess. But all we hear about Lot in the New Testament, he was a righteous man. And his righteous soul was vexed every day at the wicked works of the city he lived in. I'm like, let's go back and read that about Lot. And How did I miss that in chapter Genesis? I didn't see a righteous man. God did. I didn't see him bothered about the wickedness of the people. God did. Or what about David. A man after God's own heart, it tells us in Acts 13. A man after God's own heart who did all my will. It would take me three Bible studies to tell you all the sins David committed. I mean, that guy messed up about more than anybody in the Bible. Big sins. Cost thousands of lives. Not hundreds, thousands of people died because of David's sins. But yet, all God sees about David is, now here's a guy everybody should follow. A man after my own heart who did all my will. You know what happens to me when I read these things? It gives me great hope. And it also reminds me of the truth. Remember Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. What does it say? In Jeremiah 31, 34. And I will remember their sin no more. You got it, Chris. Yeah. I will forgive their iniquity. And I and their sin I will remember no more. It's true. All he remembered about Abraham is what he did right. All he remembered about Lot was what he saw in his heart, not in his action. And he, the times he was right in his heart. All he saw of David was only what he did right. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, I'm a dad, I honestly don't remember all the dumb things my kids did. And sometimes I do and I just put them out of my mind. I don't I wouldn't bring it up to I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to have them remember something they regret when they were eight years old and how they messed up. I mean, right? I mean, that's really all you want to remember. So it makes totally sense that God's that way. But he has the power to actually take our sins away. See, that's the cool thing. The Old Testament law could cover it. But in Christ, he takes our sins away, buries them in the deepest sea, scatters them far east to the west. So they really aren't there. Well, yeah, David, no, God didn't bring up David's sins. David had no sins. This is the point. Well, why don't you mention about David's sin? I'm sorry. This is the New Testament, buddy. I rose again. David has no sins. I have no idea what you're talking about. You're telling me, God, you don't remember about Bathsheba? And that's, oh, yeah, she had Solomon. They had a great little son there. Yeah, that's great. What about before that marriage? Nope, don't remember any of that. Gives me great hope. Well, finishing this up in verse 19, God says to Abraham, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. I just told you that. And you shall call his name Isaac, which is laughter. And I will establish my covenant with him and an everlasting covenant and with his, listen, his descendants after him. This is the only time that God says, your son Isaac is going to have children. And he uses this little tiny couple of words to have a horrendous faith in chapter 22, willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice because he knows God would have to raise him from the dead because he hadn't yet had any kids. We do see a great faith in Abraham. It just took 40 years. (laughs) When he had the great faith in chapter 22, he was 137 years old. (laughs) So... He eventually had great faith. It just took a long time to get there. Well, in verse 20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and multiply him exceedingly. And he shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. And my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So uh, 12 months from now, 365 days, whatever you want to say, you're going to be holding your baby son, Isaac. And he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. It sort of sounds that like verse 22, that he's a little irritated. <laughs> it's sort of like going, okay now, I'm done talking to you. I'm out of here. It almost feels that way in verse 22. I, and he was finished talking to Abraham. Um, because Abraham's, oh, let Ishmael live. No, it seemed to really upset God. And he's like, I, I told you. And you're going to name him laughter because I, I heard it. You may have done it in your heart and fell on your face. I'm looking at you. You can't see me, but I see you. And of course, in the next chapter, Sarah's going to laugh. But in verse 23, and Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And they circumcised the flesh of their foreskins in their very same day, the very same day, immediate obedience and God said to him, Abraham was 99 years old, and he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. So he comes back, hey guys, good news, I've been talking to God. Bad news, we're all going to have a circumcision party. Now, we already knew he had 318 men ready for battle. It must have been hundreds of guys, maybe a thousand. I really don't know how big of a group. It was by this time. But way back when he delivered Lot, he had 318 men ready to go to battle. It's not talking about little boys and old men that were with him. So, wow. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old, and he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael, and all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money from the foreigner, were circumcised with him. So God is is bringing home again now for the third time all the blessings that he's going to put on Abraham and Abraham just be this guy that walks with me through this being honest and 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 real and and let's have this fellowship as we do this. I want to be your God and I want to be your children's God. And and I want to have this fellowship, this relationship. And remember all the promises of God to Abraham, are also to us. In 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22, for all the promise of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, and to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us in Christ and has anointed us in God, who has also sealed us and given us of his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you hear how similar that is to the promise of Abraham? God says, I'm gonna establish it. This is what he says. Who's the one who established the promise of salvation, of sanctification, of glorification? I did it. The Holy Spirit's in you. God sealed you with the Spirit. He made this guarantee just like he did in his nature to those who believed in him. In Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary in doing good. In due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In Psalms 27:14, wait on the Lord; be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We all will have that season in our life that God makes us wait longer than we want to wait for what He has for us, right? And uh, it's interesting. Uh, there's another Bible said, "Everything double dies before God finally gives the vision." Well, is there any questions before we go into a time of worship? Anybody? have anything? It could be about this study or it can be about another topic as well. Yes. The, the of Israel, yes. Yes, a big part of it is. Um, so Ishmael was circumcised and Ishmael circumcised all his kids and so in the Muslim religion and other religions the, the, there is circumcision as well and again I believe it's because Abraham circumcised his six kids as well from Keturah so it just, it didn't, circumcision didn't just stay within Judaism, it's throughout all the Arab nations today yeah good question anybody else? Well, sometimes we have a lot of questions, and sometimes we just have one. So come on up, uh, and let's uh, seek the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word tonight, and line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, Lord, we just want to grow in you, and our hearts are burning within us tonight, Lord, as uh, Matthias was playing those songs earlier in worship, my heart was just crying out to you, saying how sweet it is to gather together with the brothers and the sisters and, and to come into your presence and, and to sense that wonderful presence of your spirit. Like the children of Israel eating the manna from heaven every day, sometimes we can get so accustomed to us it no longer has that same heavenly spark to us, even though it is. And for many of us, we are walking in your peace, we're walking in your word, we're walking in your will. And it's just good all the time. Even when trials come, even when attacks come, even when difficulties come, our faith is so grounded. We just keep our eyes on you and we thank you for that. So tonight, Lord, we just want to come and bring you incense, the evening oblation, and just worship you in spirit and truth. Give us grace, Lord, and meet us here like you did Abraham. Meet us here, oh Lord, and be pleased. In Jesus' name.